Welcome back, juniors, to another episode, the last episode, of Reed Keeper's Journey, a novel written and read by Mark Diaz. When we last left the group, they were standing at the threshold, meeting the unthing, the woman with the eyes, finally. Now, back to the story. Chapter 60 It is one thing to know something is big, and it's quite another thing to see it, to witness it in real life. Jack and Barbara had taken their two children to see the Grand Canyon. Jack wanted to show his kids the National Monument, not so much as to experience the majesty of nature, but more to make his family feel small and insignificant. A lesson to remember when they started getting too big for their britches. It didn't work, of course. Jack would always feel slighted in some way, blaming his family for the lack of respect for him, and Stacy was too young for the trip to make any lasting impression. Barbara just complained that it was too hot. But Michael took away something entirely different than Jack had intended. Michael walked away with a deep sense of the immensity of the earth, and that it was filled with people, each with their own lives, each carrying their own hopes, their dreams and their fears. Now, standing at the threshold of the chamber, seeing the unthing in the flesh achieve the emotion Jack had tried to evoke in his son years before, Michael felt small and insignificant. The chamber was immense. Everything scaled to fit the inhuman-sized people. The steps that led to the upper levels that overlooked the area were knee-high to Michael. The circular room looked like a place of meeting, but was in chaos. Blast marks scorched the walls, chunks of stone laid scattered on the floor, and pieces of chair were strewn about the room, leaving the only one piece of whole furniture occupied by the last gigantus of the land. It was the woman with the eyes from his dreams, only gargantuan, easily twelve feet tall. The unthing wore the gigantus body like a suit, leaking unness from its pores, like a mist cascading down her and staining the floor. It sat in the middle of the room upon a simple chair, making it look like a throne and filling the air with its wrongness. Finally, now give her to me, she pointed to Heather, and the rest of you live. Yeah, right, Steve scoffed. If you don't kill us now, you'll just do it when you toast this world like a marshmallow. Give her to me, she said slyly, seductively, and I'll let you go home. The unness around the giant pulsed, and a doorway appeared beside her, a rectangle of black liquid roiling on its side. Michael saw the future play out before him. The unthing would let them leave, and they would wake up in their home world, disoriented and scared, but alive. Years would pass, and they would accept the lie that Heather had died in the cave. They would gloss over the inconsistencies of the facts, how they had survived for almost two months, and why had their bodies changed and changed back. Why couldn't the search party find Heather? The facts wouldn't matter, because accepting them would mean admitting their guilt, admitting they sacrificed their friend. But denying their choice meant they would slowly be consumed by their grief and self-loathing, laying hold of anything to numb the truth of their sin. We leave together or we die together, 
Michael said, pulling his sword. Time to start the distraction. Michael thought as Zoe and Callista disappeared from each side of his peripheral vision. Oh, I won't kill you. All at once. She smiled. Bear hucked a head-sized chunk of stone with a deep, bellowing grunt. The giant flicked her wrist, deflecting the small boulder, before it even came near her. Michael saw a flash of power coming from her, but was too slow to react, and Bear was sent backwards, skidding across the floor, rebounding against the wall, and landing in a heap. I can fly, I can fly, I can fly, Michael whispered to himself, wanting with all his hearts for chains to be wrapped around her not only on her body, but also on her mind, to keep her from wielding her weird power. Now, Michael shouted, seeing the chains appear around her. Arrows leaving their strings hissed on either side of him, and Steve yelled something as he hurled his hammer at the unthing. The woman with the eyes grunted, and then her smile returned as the chains exploded, sending a hot needle stab of pain through Michael's forehead. Another motion of her hand knocked Steve's hammer and Callista's arrow out of the air, but Zoe's flew true and struck her in the chest. The giant screamed more from anger than from pain, and the ceiling above Zoe collapsed. Michael had never seen anybody move so fast. Zoe was a blur of green and gold, dodging a huge slab of stone. Pieces of wall exploded around the dread as she flittered and leapt about the balcony, the unthing's lightning and fire unable to catch her. A small stone smacked the unthing in its forehead, cutting her scalp and releasing blood and unness from the gash in her skull. Steve stepped up beside Michael, dropping another stone into his sling. Enough of this! The woman with the eyes shrieked. Stacy slid past Michael, fighting an unseen force that dragged her forward. He reached for her, his fingers just brushing the edge of her cloak before she was brought before the giant. I am older than Earth! Older than the stars, I witnessed man's fall and laughed when the curse was laid on Adam. What are you to defy me? She strode forward, pulling the arrow from her chest like a twig found in one's hair. No, Michael whispered. This is the price that you pay for refusing me peace. The unthing sneered and shoved the arrow into Stacy's throat. Time slowed, and Michael saw with grievous clarity the surprise and horror on his sister's face as the arrowhead disappeared beneath her skin. He saw her as a little baby, swaddled and carried into their home for the first time. He was pushing her on her bike as she learned to ride, and she was crying because she wasn't picked for the cheerleading squad, and she was sitting on their porch, yelling at the cars to slow down as they drove down their crappy little street in front of their crappy little house and their crappy little town. He saw what was once the only light in his life being extinguished. Michael raged. The world turned red, filling him with pain and woe and wrath. Somewhere far off, the smithy yelled for Michael to calm down, like a fool trying to stop a storm with his voice. Something grabbed his arm. Steve? And Michael shrugged, sending shockwaves across the floor. Stone and dust were cast into the air as the floor rippled like still waters being disturbed by a stone. Stacy drifted towards the ground, sliding, lifeless, as Michael, enveloped by the omnia, stretched out time to infinity. 
the unthing smiled and closed its demon eyes, accepting the retribution about to be unleashed. Peace, Michael. All is not lost. It was the voice when he first came here, a voice he only now remembered, but he knew all along, a voice that felt and sounded of health and joy and a myriad other things, everything the unthing wasn't. It was the voice of an angel. See the truth. Hate and revenge fell from his eyes like scales. Clarity rested on him, and he could see the look of twisted contentment on the unthing's face. He heard Trindok speaking to him in a memory, or in real time, or both, he could not tell, but Michael saw the truth in the Anani's words. I believe it wants you to free it from its trap. She needs me to kill the body, Michael thought. Killing her would only free it to possess Heather. But she killed Stacy. No, not dead yet. Immersed in the oneness, Michael could see her strings were not completely severed. Several of them, all different colors, connected her and Callista. A thick red line ran from Stacy's heart to his, and another from him to Zoe, smaller but strong and vibrant. He could see more strings emerging from his, lines of connection to Steve and Bear and Callista, and a black steel one that ran off into oblivion, telling him that Kin still lived. There were thick black ones that ran from his face to the unthing, gnarled and twisted things that would leave ragged cuts on whatever they touched. Those constantly jerked at his face, enraging him further. There was another one, rope-like and taut, coming from the unthing, a cable of unness that ran to the portal it had created. Michael raised Oakshot, the sword that was neither from this world nor the other, like him, straddling both worlds belonging to neither. The living blade, shaped by oneness and man, slid effortlessly through the strings attached to the cuts on his face. The unthing wailed, the recoil of the black thread snapping its head back, leaving dark blood-red grooves in its face. Michael struck again, seeing, wanting, knowing Oakshot slicing through the cable, its connection to this world, its source of power. Whatever possessed the gigantus body howled as the cord recoiled an infinite time stronger than the wires from Michael's cuts. The unness that leaked from its pores and bubbled out of its eyes sucked itself back into the body and then exploded out, blasting everyone to the ground. Michael scrambled, half walking, half crawling to get to Stacy. He pulled her close, careful not to touch the arrow jutting from her throat, her mouth opening and closing, gasping for breath or trying to say a final word Michael could not tell. Callista appeared at his side, covered in dust except for clear trails on her face left by tears. Get away, Michael yelled, not angry at Callista, not angry at all, in fact, but his heart was torn open and he didn't want comfort. He wanted to mourn and die. Callista filled a black stone cup with water. She was saying something about Carr crying, but Michael didn't care. He kissed Stacy's forehead. I'm so sorry, Stacy. This was my fault. I'm so sorry. Zoe was beside him now, and he refused her comfort as well trying to grip his sister tighter. Why wouldn't they let him say goodbye? Bear and Steve grabbed him, pulling him away as Zoe produced a knife bearing down on Stacy. No! Michael yelled, or tried to, but he was too weak. His strength was gone as he watched Zoe make a precise cut on each side of the arrow, removing it from Stacy's neck. 
Callista whispered something and poured the cup of water onto Stacy's bleeding throat, erasing the wound. Stacy gasped, her neck healed. Heather watched the boys wrestle Michael from his sister. She understood what Callista was doing. The tears of Carr, she whispered, remembering when she examined the cups during Stacy's braiding ceremony. They were a gift from Zoe during the Festival of the Leaves, Callista had said. They are stones carved from the black rock of Carr in the Lectoc Kingdom. It is said that each tree carved in himself. They cannot be broken, and if the tears of Carr fill them, then they will rejuvenate any wound, no matter how mortal. Heather walked past the scene, knowing Stacy would be fine, and knelt beside the broken body of the Anani Gigantus. Watching the life ebb from her eyes, Heather knew the tears could heal her body, but the spirit was broken long before the unthing ever came. I am sorry, the Gigantus whispered. The land. Someone. The land. Heather understood. With the Anani gone, the land would do worse than rot. It would die, and the death would spread throughout the world, killing it, destroying everything. Unless, unless someone replaces you, Heather said to the Gigantus, brushing the blonde hair from her eyes, but she was already gone. Heather closed her eyes and saw the Omnia, the breath of creation, and Gia, the world. She reached into herself and into them, pulling large cords of power from each and tying them together, binding herself to them for eternity or until another took her place. The wholeness of life flowed through her, and she could feel the devastation the unthing had wrought on the land, not just by trying to kill it, but drawing the life from it. All the living creatures recoiled from the abomination's touch. Birds found other homes. Worms dug deeper in the soil, fleeing the gangrenous infection. She could feel the life returning, seeds popping open deep in the earth, thriving and eager to reclaim the new life of the coming spring. She felt whole and reclaimed the vibrancy of the little girl from so long ago. She threw back her head and laughed, taking back an injured part of her heart, healing it and becoming what she was always meant to be. Reality stood open before her. Her mind, no longer clogged with the hate and shame that blinded those who clung to it, thinking it was justice. She could see the two worlds, this one and her home, transposed upon each other, separated by a thin veil. She reached into both realities, not rending the wall between the two, but asking for the veil to be parted, momentarily, and not for her, but for the ones she loved. A rectangle of light appeared beside her, pulsating with warmth. The sense of power pulled Michael to his feet. He helped Stacy stand, while Steve and Bear helped him to stand. Heather glowed with the oneness, her face serene, and a smile pulling at the corners of her mouth. It was the face of someone who had come to terms and accepted their fate with no malice. Michael doubted he could ever achieve such a look. Michael looked down at Stacy. The strange cup had healed her entire body. Cuts on her face had closed and bruises had faded. Her throat was whole again, except for two hair-thin white scars that formed a cross in the hollow of her throat, formed by Zoe's arrow and Zoe's knife. I can't go, Michael said, 
I can't live in that world knowing this one exists. Stay here with me. We'll live with the Metaf. I love this place, Stacy said, touching her neck, gliding her fingers along the scars. But I want to go home. Michael spent his life protecting his sister, pulling the focus of Jack's rage or giving Barbara something to blame. But he knew that if he went back, he would die inside. He saw an endless line of nine-to-five jobs filled with people telling him just exactly what was wrong with him, to get his head out of the clouds, to get his act together and be a real man. He saw Stacy grow up and marry, leaving him behind, his sacrifice forgotten. He loved his sister, but he, he couldn't. He wouldn't sell his soul for her. Fine, she said, turning away. Why, Heather? Steve asked. The world would have died, my love. So, Steve said, without heart or heat, and then gave a nervous laugh showing he didn't mean it, but Michael thought he did. It's cool. I'll stay then. You can't, Steve. Heather shook her head. I'm becoming a gigantus. It wasn't just you getting shorter. I've been growing this whole time. Slowly at first, but now it'll happen quicker. Now that I am part of the land. Size doesn't matter. Steve sniffed, holding back his tears, trying to joke until the end. You'll only force her to watch you grow old and die, Zoe said. She would share Carr's fate, and the lamb would ultimately suffer. No one asked you, Zoe, Steve said, and stepped closer to Heather. Are you sure? We can make it work. It's better this way, Heather whispered back. Live your life. Know that I love you and that I am at peace. The group looked away as the two kissed, whispering their devotion, regret, and goodbyes. Steve motioned to the others. Okay, guys, let's blow this taco stand. Bear stepped forward, wrapping his long, hairy arms around Michael. Are you sure? Michael said. Bear nodded and hugged him harder, sending little pops throughout his back. I miss being a man. Take care of them for me, will you? Bear placed a giant paw on the side of Michael's face. I will try. Take care of yourself, Michael, until we meet again. Bear stepped up and took Stacy's hand. They did not look back as they stepped through the portal. Michael hoped she caught his hurried goodbyes. Are you sure, Mikey? Steve asked, and then his head dropped a bit at Michael's nod. Then, I'll see you later, old buddy. If not in this life, then the next, Steve said, but Michael could see that some of the light had gone out of his eyes. I will always love you, Heather, he said, and disappeared into the light. The veil sealed itself behind him, once again separating the two worlds. Michael dropped to the floor and wept, this time allowing Zoe to comfort him as much as she was able. Epilogue Michael laid in a lush meadow half-mooned by ancient yet vibrant trees. Light dazzled off a sandy bottom stream that cut the meadow into a semicircle. A hot breeze caressed his cheek like an endearing kiss from Mother Earth. He shaded his eyes against the blinding sun and a sky so blue he could scarcely behold it, letting the stillness roll over him in waves. He felt at peace. He thought about Stacy 
He hoped and prayed she was doing well. He prayed now, knowing the worlds, both of them, were larger than his life, knowing that there was more out there and more to come. He replayed telling his sister goodbye in his mind and asked himself, as he would for the rest of his life, if there was more that he could have said, knowing the answer would always be no. It took a long while to recover from the trip there and back to the tree. The three of them, Callista, Zoe, and he, had stayed with Heather for a few days while they recovered from the battle and the long journey that had brought them to the Gigantus castle doors. But soon, the duties of the second and third keepers of the staff pulled at Zoe and her sister. They left, reluctant to abandon Heather, who was still content working to restore the land the unthing had attempted to destroy. They parted ways, and Michael and the girls began their long trek back home. They skirted the coastline, avoiding any Hyperborean, though they later found out avoiding detection was unnecessary. Trindok lived. After defeating the high priest, he and Leander had forced the Trindonian priest into a shaky agreement with the Metaf, while the Hyperborean echelon squabbled trying to fill the power void left by the assassination of the king. Trindok promised Michael that he would see to Heather and make sure she continued to be of sound spirit and mind, and not to repeat his so-called mistake by neglecting to help the former Gigantus Anani. Leander seemed well, and Michael actually kind of liked the young monk. Now under Trindok's tutelage, he had shed his obsession with sin and self-loathing. His head in her lap, Michael looked up at Zoe as she braided a few strands of his hair, her fingers deftly weaving them with grace. His hair was longer now, longer than his dad would ever let it get, that's for sure, and Michael thought he might let it grow past his shoulders. Zoe definitely liked it, and that was good enough for him. This life was good, good enough for him, and better than he'd ever imagined life could be. He knew that it would ebb and flow, good times and bad would come and go as they always had and always would. There was no perfect life, but maybe only perfect moments. He reached up and kissed Zoe, promising himself to grab them as they came and make them last as long as he could. Well, there you have it, Journeyers. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this story. Um, I have never completed a full novel like this before. I've, I've written short stories and I did a lot of news writing and stuff, but this is my first epic novel and I hope you enjoyed it and I really, really appreciate you listening to it. Um, you guys helped keep me motivated to keep writing. I know, like I've never done a podcast before and I, I made the podcast knowing that if I had a deadline... I would hold myself to it and I would meet it. And then I would see people logging on and people downloading it. And that would encourage me that I actually had listeners. I haven't decided where I'm going to move from here. If I'm going to take this into an audiobook format or hopefully, you know, if there's any agents out there um, to take this into a printed format. But I will keep you posted. If you go to my website, readkeeper.com, R-E-E-D-K-E-E-P-E-R, Dot com and drop me your line. I will keep you posted on any updates of the story and any other projects I may be working on. That being said, I'd love to hear from you. And until then, thank you for listening and be good to one another. <laughs>